So earlier in the assembly, Scott read for us the Shema. Those words that were given to the Israelites by Moses just before he died and just before they entered into the promised land. And the Shema literally means listen, pay attention, do what you are about to hear. And the Shema has really become synonymous with this prayer, with this command. The Lord, the Lord is God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your might. Everything that is within you. And these words that Scott read for us have really become the, the, the direction and the purpose for the people of Israel. But they also continue to shape the church. When Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He points to the Shema. These are the words that give the people away in life. This is what we were created to do, to love God. And these words were especially important to the people of Israel as they were to enter into the promised land, this land flowing with milk and honey, this land also with other people in it, people with their own histories, their own stories, stories of creation myths and gods and what to do to appease these gods. In a sense, the Israelites were about to enter into a land of a thousand different voices, and the people were going to be tempted to follow those voices. They were going to be tempted to chase after those other gods. And when we read the Old Testament, the story of Israel, we see that that is exactly what happened These other voices had led them to a place of great exile and shame. But here, before they enter into the promised land, Moses gives them these words to recenter them, to remind them of who they are, and more importantly, whose they are. And they're going to need those words. Fast forward a few centuries into the future, A young Gentile man, a non-Jew named Timothy, had been given the task to serve as a minister in the churches of a thriving coastal city called Ephesus, a vibrant, beautiful city in modern-day Turkey. It was the home of one of the seven ancient wonders of the world, the Temple of Artemis, the fertility goddess, and it was a magnificent structure. And people would come all over the place to see this. And like so many other cities in that region, Ephesus was a place of temples and gods and of all different kinds of of things happening, merchants, trade. It was a thriving city, but in many ways, it was also a city of a thousand different voices. And I can imagine how intimidating that must have been for Timothy preaching and ministering in these churches in a city where... Really, the church was largely dismissed, especially this crucified and risen Lord. But the biggest challenge for Timothy comes not from without, and he certainly had his challenges there, but from within. There are other voices in that church, powerful, aggressive voices who were leading the church astray with teachings of wild speculation and fascination with novelty and young Timothy is being attacked by these teachers and he's giving in he's stepping back and so in shades of Moses giving his last words 
Paul, in prison, gives his last words to Timothy to embolden him, to give him his courage. And in 2 Timothy chapter 4, our sermon passage this morning, Paul gives Timothy one final charge. Well, let's hear this charge. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. Hear the word of God. I'm reading from the ESV. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time for my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. May God bless the reading of his word. Choices, choices, choices. We have so many choices when it comes to the food that we eat, and not all of them are good choices. I know in our house we are trying to train our children to make good choices when it comes to food, and sadly, some of the time I have to tell them, do as I say, not as I do which rarely works out when trying to make a point. But it's true. There are foods that are designed to help us flourish in this world, fruits and vegetables and the like, but then there are the other foods, sweet tasting, those foods that give us that short burst of energy, but then, then there's the crash. And there are long-term consequences for making bad choices over a long period of time when it comes to our diet. And we have categories for the different foods. And one of the ways we teach children is to categorize foods this way. There are go foods and there are slow foods. And I found out another category this week on a website. There's also woe foods. Now go foods are those foods that energize us and help us get through our day the leafy green vegetables, but then there are the slow foods and woe foods. These foods that should only be eaten occasionally, fast food, sweet snacks, and desserts. These are foods that fill us, but at the end of the day, leave us empty and weighed down. And then we have a crash. Go foods and slow foods. Healthy foods and junk foods. Of course, we have to make the choice. And I wonder if our children can make good choices. 
So children, I have a question for you. If you have a bowl full of broccoli or a bowl full of ice cream, which one would you choose? Think hard on that. Yeah, I know what you would choose because I know a lot of adults would choose the same thing. We don't always make the best choices, do we? Instead of choosing a plate of kale, I'm sorry to bring that up. Those foods that energize us, we choose the food that leaves us running on empty. We were not made to run on junk food as our constant state of fuel, our constant fuel. Second Timothy, Paul has some serious concerns about the church's diet, about their spiritual diet. Now, when Paul came to Ephesus, he helped establish those churches. And like all the other churches that he worked with, Paul served the people a steady diet of spiritual go-foods, those teachings that sustain the church. We get a taste of that diet in chapter 2, verse 8. And we're going to have a a reading here. We've read this verse for, I guess, a a month. I'm going to read the first part of this, and then we'll read together verses 11 through 13 of chapter 2 but back in verse 8 Paul says this remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead the offspring of David as preached in my gospel dot 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 here's a trustworthy saying let's say this together if we have died with him we will also live with him if we endure we will also reign with him if we deny him he also will deny us If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Well, there's the diet right there. There's the spiritual go foods. These are the the fruits and the vegetables that sustain the church. And we see this in the behavior of the people in Ephesus. When Paul was there, they they turned away from their idols. In In the letter that he wrote to the Ephesians, he says, Remember your former life. You turned away from that, and you turned toward God. But it's been a while since Paul has been in Ephesus, and Paul is looking weaker by the minute as he awaits his execution. They're in prison, and while Paul is away, Timothy is trying to to be constant and continue what Paul had started, supplying the church with a spiritual, healthy diet. But in Ephesus, there are other chefs in the kitchen. There are other offerings. Very sweet and appealing dishes that look so tasty. A radical departure from the strict diet that had been served to the people for so long. And given the choices between the spiritual go-foods and the spiritual slow-foods, the people are making bad choices. They have itching ears. Or to carry the metaphor further, they have itching taste buds, which doesn't quite sound the same, cravings, desires, and these other chefs in the kitchen, these false teachers are feeding those bad choices. The people are choosing the spiritual junk food, and they're becoming addicted. Back in chapter 2, really throughout this letter, Paul describes the different types of teachings that are going on there, but I want to highlight chapter 2, verse 16, where Paul says to Timothy, avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and that talk will spread like gangrene. Avoid irreverent babble, because that actually affects behavior. 
it leads people to ungodliness. I'm reminded of the quote that Tom Wright, we used with Tom Wright back in June when he talked about evil. He said, evil is when your mind gets twisted out of shape. Your mind, your thinking, and then your body goes along for the ride. That's what happens when we feed ourselves on spiritual junk food. It tastes sweet. The dopamine kicks in. There's even short bursts of energy and excitement. But then the crash comes. And these wild teachings were never meant to sustain the church. And the people there in Ephesus had become addicted to this kind of teaching, to novelty and to wild speculation. And it has left the church empty and it's left the church hungry. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. So a question for us this morning. How's our diet? How's our spiritual diet? In this city we live in, this city of Austin, this city of a thousand voices, in a culture that is built on the new and the exciting and the novel, in this culture that is fueled not by what is true, but by what is trending, are we eating our vegetables, or are we filling our bellies with spiritual junk food? Well, this morning, we have the opportunity to examine our faith, but also to examine what? Our our cravings and that which we desire to eat. We're going to hone in on what Paul calls itching ears. And if left to our own devices, what kind of religion would we create? What kind of way of life would we create to suit ourselves, to suit and fulfill our desires well we don't really have to ask this question because it's been done for centuries and it's been done recently we talked about this back in june but i think it bears repeating there were some authors who examined and studied youth culture and they identified a general belief uh, system and i would say this is not just relegated to youth it has trickled up and this has been generations in the making It's a belief system called, and you can sound impressive by telling people this, have you heard about moralistic therapeutic deism? Moralistic therapeutic deism. When you break it apart, it's pretty easy to define. It's this mixture of Christianity and psychology and the American dream all kind of wrapped up and bundled up into one belief system. It's it's a belief in God as creator, but God's not very present And we don't really engage God unless we need some help. And really, what we need to do is just be good, absent of the cross. Just be good, live a good moral life. And I think probably the most potent of these tenets is the goal in life. The goal in life is to be happy. That's what life is all about, to be happy. It's a dopamine-infused kind of living We see this in the world all around us. 
We saw this recently on The Bachelorette. Let me do a preemptive strike here. I don't watch The Bachelorette. If you do, that's, that's with you. But I did see an article recently about the, the Bachelorette. She is a professing Christian. And uh, she is being courted by 20 men at the same time. It's part of the show. She's young. I don't want to disparage her at all. Because she's young. She's trying to figure things out. And she's doing it in a very public way, which is... Uh, Difficult to work out in front of everyone else. But she was confronted by another man on that show who was also a professing Christian. And one of the bits of this show, toward the end of it, as, as the show is narrowed down to maybe three, three suitors, there's the opportunity to have the honeymoon night with three of the suitors to, in coded language, try out each of the suitors. And this... Young man, he, was, he had some chemistry with the bachelorette, and uh, he just brought that up. He said, well, look, the honeymoon nights are coming up. I got to tell you, I'm not perfect, but uh, if you engage in those honeymoon nights, well, I want you to send me home. Uh, that didn't go over so well. Uh, she got defensive and fired back pretty quickly. She said, you can't judge me. Uh, Jesus doesn't judge me, therefore you cannot judge me. Uh, the book of Revelation, Jesus is judge for sure. But she said, regardless of anything that I've done, I can do whatever. I sin daily and Jesus still loves me, which is true. Jesus does still love us. But then she went on in the show to engage in those honeymoon nights outside of the confines of marriage. And she's young. She's wrong. I think she is, like so many, the embodiment of what we call moralistic, therapeutic deism, the forming and the creating of a religion that suits our desires and our cravings. It's a way of living that shuns the vegetables of the, the gospel, the parts we don't like, in favor of the sweets and the desserts that give us momentary pleasure, but at the end of the day, leave us empty, as so many of us can attest to in this room. It's what Dietrich Bonhoeffer calls cheap grace. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German theologian in the 1930s and 40s who ended up being killed in a German Nazi concentration camp but he wrote a fantastic book called cost, uh, The Cost of Discipleship. In the first 20 pages is a chapter called Costly Grace, as opposed to Cheap Grace. And let me just read a few words about Cheap Grace from Bonhoeffer. This is what he says. Cheap Grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession. Absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. 
grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate, living among us. Well, I think he's spot on. Cheap grace is that spiritual junk food that if we feed ourselves that, if we have a pick-and-choose buffet when it comes to following our Lord Jesus, well, that's not going to get us very far in life, and there will be a crash. And Paul knows this. That's why he implores Timothy, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Whether the people want their vegetables or not, preach the word. Give them the spiritually healthy diet of the cross and the empty tomb. That is the go food. The food that has sustained the church for centuries. The spiritual health of a church runs right through there. Right through the cross and the empty tomb and the story of the life, the death, the burial and resurrection, the ascension of Jesus to the right hand of God where God says the true king has been vindicated. The true king is on the throne right now. This is the foundation upon which the church was built. This is the foundation upon which the church continues to flourish. This is the foundation of the new life that we seek as believers. This is the story that shapes a people who submit to God more than submitting to our cravings and our own desires, our own appetites. And the good news, the good news is that when we submit to God, the more we submit to God, the more God changes our, our taste buds, changes the way that we look at life. It's part of what God's Spirit is at work doing right now. It's a story of transformation. The good news is that God knows what's best for us and God has given us a spiritually healthy diet. And so this morning we have the opportunity to take a step back and assess our spiritual health as a church but also as individuals and ask ourselves What's in our diet? There are lots of different places that we can get our food, our spiritual food, in 2019. What is our approach to God? Is it a pick-and-choose buffet? Or are we willing to take in what God has served us in the gospel? Well, here are some questions you could take home and talk about with your families and friends, maybe over lunch, maybe bring them up in a home group tonight. I'll ask them and give us a couple of seconds to think through it. What areas of my life are outside of the Lordship of Jesus right now? We all have those little compartments where we have the door maybe a little open for the devil. Can we identify those? Where have I not submitted fully to His will? Where are those episodes in my life, those situations where I'm listening more to my desires and my cravings than I am to the Lord Jesus Christ? Am I shunning the vegetables in favor of the spiritual junk food?
Well, as said before, this is a story not just of salvation, but of transformation. And God wants to renew our minds. And He offers us the forgiveness of sins. But that's not where it stops. God wants more than that. God wants to give us a new heart. God wants to give us a heart transplant. God desires to reshape our cravings, our desires to conform around His will and not His own. He's not satisfied with just forgiving us of our sins and letting bygones be bygones. He he wants us to change, and He's given us the power to do so. So this morning, the invitation is to taste and to see that the Lord is good. And He has offered us food for life. And He's not given up on us. He's not given up on His people. And He's given us everything that we need to walk this walk that He has given us. He's given us the food that sustains and energizes us. He's given us the victory. The victory is ours in Jesus Christ. The invitation is open to those who would like to respond to the good news. If you'd like to respond in a public way and you need the prayers of this church, you are welcome to come as we stand and sing this song. If you would like to be baptized, we certainly can offer that and accommodate that. If you have already done so and would like to uh, join in with us with what God is doing here among us here at Brentwood Oaks, we invite you to come as we stand and as we sing.